0: Welcome to another episode of 35 West. My name is Margarita Seminario. I am the Deputy Director of the Americas Program at CSIS. how professional
1: the Mexican but are we ready? I don't reform trends in Argentina. And that's what happened in NAFTA negotiations.
0: Hello and thank you for turning in to another episode of 35 West. Joining us today is Mr. Ricardo Musa Mr. Musa is the chief executive officer of Ryzen, an integrated energy company that looks to reshape the future of energy through its broad-based commitment to bioenergy and renewables. Prior to his current position as CEO, Mr. Musa was responsible for the group's logistics, trading, and distribution as executive vice president. He was also formerly the CEO of Cosan Lubrificantes and later CEO of Move Lubrificantes, as well as one of the founders and CEO of Radar. Ryzen is committed to creating long-lasting energy solutions and focuses on producing biofuels through its extensive cultivation and processing of sugarcane. The company is committed to producing sustainable and quality forms of energy such as ethanol, second-generation ethanol, bioelectricity, biogas, and bioproducts. Ryzen aims to deliver sustainable energy to the people of Brazil, Argentina, and around the world. Thanks a lot, Mr. Musa, for joining us. I'm really glad you're
1: able to make the time for this. Thank you, Odeno. Really, my pleasure to be here with you today. Very excited to, to have this conversation.
0: Tell me about your career path
1: and how you ended up becoming the CEO of Ryzen. I'm a Brazilian, I'm an industrial engineer. I started my career, my life as a, as a consultant, but I quickly moved to Unilever, a global company. And I worked for the company for a long time, for almost 10 years, lived abroad several times. And then I came back to Brazil, worked for Danone, the yogurt company. And I ended up coming to Cosan, who is one of the shareholders of Raizen, almost 15 years ago. Then I, I really got involved with agriculture in Brazil. i uh, really excited about this. I'm a, I'm a guy, Daniel, that likes the fundamental of things. So when I saw the project of Raizen, that is really related to bioenergy. I really like the idea. I moved to Ryzen prior to be CEO, to run the logistics, the trading organization. And last year in the middle of the pandemic, I, I became CEO of the company. It has been, I can tell you that, I've been the best job of my life so far. It's fantastic.
0: So Ryzen's outlined a list of impressive public commitments for 2030, including reducing the carbon footprint of ethanol and sugar by 10%, Ensuring the traceability of 100% of the volume of crushed cane. How is Rising going to achieve this? What steps is Rising going to take this year in 2021 and 2022 to achieve these goals?
1: I think the, the major point here is productivity. We do have a plant that is sugarcane that is still underdeveloped, I, I must say. So there is a lot of room to improve productivity inside our company. Just by doing that, you can reduce the emissions, you can improve the amount of energy you are taking per hectare. So I think the focus of the company to do that is productivity. And the second piece is technology. Technology brings a lot of new things to the table. So we are able to do things right now that we couldn't ten years ago. So extracting more ethanol from cellulose is an example, or getting biogas from the, the byproducts of the production of ethanol. Those stuff uh, has been quite recent to us, we implemented last year, but that's what's bringing and reducing the emissions and helping our transition now. So this is for me, we are really at the beginning of that compared where we were. I think the, the traditional things that we did in the past does not compare to what we are seeing right now with those step changes, especially due to technology.
0: So how has Ryzen impacted life for Brazilian citizens and how has bioenergy been implemented within the country?
1: And how does that compare with the rest of the South American market? If you compare the, the, the Brazilian, uh, that's been a very long, long time program. The program started in the 70s, the ethanol program. So you, you can clearly see the differences with uh, big cities. If you, if you compare Brazil, the major city in Brazil, Sao Paulo, That's where the ethanol has been implemented for a long, long time. You can see that on the pollution. It's much lower than other capitals if you compare to Mexico City, to New Delhi, in India. I think you can see the benefit of the population of that. The program of ethanol in Brazil is is a success. You have the flex fuel cars more than almost 20 years now. So the majority of the fleet is flex fuel. So we replaced fossil fuels, the gasoline, big time. So it's today the major use of ethanol is for replacing gasoline and Brazil reduce also the imports. So Brazil is not self-sufficient on gasoline production. So it helped also on the government to reduce the import needs of gasoline. But really the population has seen that on the environment. You can see that the pollution in the, in the city of Brazil are much lower compared to other places. So it's a reality, not something that uh, we can see a lot of places that talk about targets for 2050, targets for 2040, and the ethanol program is a reality, and has really made a big difference on the Brazilian uh, citizens' lives for a long, long time. And the second point is the electricity. I think when uh, we also being able to produce electricity from the sugarcane, so a byproduct of the ethanol production is the gas. We convert that bagasse in electricity and for you to have an idea, we produce enough bioelectricity for a city like Rio de Janeiro is a very large city for an entire year. That's our company alone. That's how much big our electricity production coming from biomass is already a reality in Brazil. And you produce that in a time of the year that is very, very important for the country that you don't have a lot of rain. Brazil depends on hydroelectric power. So we are producing during the dry season. That's when the country needs the electricity coming from the sugarcane bagasse.
0: What is the global market for bioenergy and biofuels and what's that like?
1: Ethanol is, a, I'll give an example. In our company, almost 90% of what we produce of ethanol is exported. So we sell to a lot of countries, not only for combustion engines, but also for replacing Plastic, so we produce for beverages, we produce for cosmetics, for hand sanitizers. Uh, so the global market for ethanol, it's quite large, especially in, in places like Asia and Europe that are today need uh, some more sustainable types of products. So the global market, it's growing, especially this year. I think 2020 was an year that we could see that sustainable products have been treated differently. So we never had so much premium than, as we had this past year. We have, for instance, certified products, like we have a, a certified Bonsucro from Europe. It's a, a company that certifies the quality of the sugar that we produce, and we multiply by 20 times the value of the certificates this year. So what it means is that globally, people are paying more attention to sustainable products, and paying even a premium for that. so Something that has been in our DNA for a long time, it's paying off right now, what, what's happening. And that's not only in Brazil, but it's uh, especially in Europe, uh, US, and also in Asia. So you talked about how massive the production
0: is. How do you all produce all that bioethanol and biofuels? How
1: do you do that? Where does it come from? It's in a massive amount of energy. It always starts Daniel, with with the sugarcane. Sugarcane is a very let's say effective plant to convert solar energy into biomass. So, for you to give to give you an example, if you take soybean, soybean you, you produce three tons per hectare. If you take corn, you produce eleven tons per hectare. In a sugarcane field, you produce almost ninety tons per hectare. So nine times more biomass than other crops. So the plant is very effective in converting solar energy into biomass. Then from that biomass, you can produce several things. You can produce from the juice, one third of the energy is on the juice, that you produce ethanol or you produce sugar. The second third of the energy is on the bagasse, and the bagasse you produce electricity, and now you can produce second generation ethanol from the cellulosis. And the third third is on the leaves that you used to leave on the field. Now you take that leaves and you also produce either biogas or you produce second-generation ethanol. So in the end, it starts with that. Raizen is a company, is the largest player. So we used to call in the past, Daniel, the, the sugar mules, but that's no longer the case because the, now we call bioenergy parks because we are producing a very different types of products. You produce sugar, ethanol, second-generation ethanol, biogas, pellets, Uh, Even uh, we call that almost a biorefinery. You produce so many different products. We have 35 bioenergy parks in our company. It's massive. It's huge. And we are the largest player producing all those products that I just mentioned to you. And two of them are more recent. The biogas uh, that today you can replace diesel. So you can take your fleet of trucks that use diesel, you can replace by biogas or you can even use the biogas to produce also electricity. And the, the second generation ethanol is something also very compelling because you're producing, We don't. you can increase 50% of production of ethanol without one single hectare more. So you are really increasing the production without need for additional acreage. So that's quite amazing. And that has been possible for technology, right? Okay, so where are the future markets for
0: biofuels, is it, is it Southeast Asia? Is it the Americas? Is it Europe? Where are the
1: future markets? Right now, we very hot markets. If you take US and Europe that are thinking, uh, they're more advanced into looking sustainable aspects. So we are getting premiums that we never saw in the past. I give an example. Last year, we started our year. Our year starts in April. That's our harvesting year. And when we started the year in 11 days, we sold our entire production of second generation in 11 days. That's for two markets, developed markets, US and Europe. Why is that? Because those markets are already, they have mandates. They need to meet the demand for carbon emissions. So they already pay a premium and we are getting those markets first. But I think that's that's going to be, for for me, uh, the, the point is demand is there. For me, it's how to address other markets also to produce ethanol. But the demand is already there. The demand is not an issue for me today. I have much more demand than I can uh, comply or can I meet with my own production. Uh, we are seeing companies asking for seven-year contracts, nine-year contracts, because they are concerned they need to have sustainable products down the road to meet the, the, the mandates that they are exposed to. So what are some of the main uses for biofuels and how are they gonna impact
0: sustainable development and the global decarbonization conversation?
1: I think the the first one is replacing fossil fuels. So if you take the, for gasoline, uh, what we call auto cycle, when you replace gasoline by ethanol, that's the reality already in Brazil for many, many years. So that's number one. We also see, uh, there is a, not many people know about that, but the ethanol, has more octane. Octane is what gives the boost for the the fuel. So in many places that you don't have good quality gasoline, you blend with ethanol to increase the octane of the fuel. So it makes the performance better. So you can improve the performance at the same time you reduce the carbon emissions. So in many places, they are using the ethanol as a booster of octane. That's what happened, for instance, in Japan. You can replace that for uh, improve the performance of the fuel and at the same time, it reduce a lot of the emissions. Electricity production, it's, it's also important. You have a lot of uh, players uh, looking to sustainable aviation fuel. So if you look down the path, electricity is not something that uh, will meet the demand for aviation and they are looking to having a sustainable aviation fuel. And the main feedstock today is ethanol. Ethanol has a lot of hydrogen in in its composition. So even if you take uh, fuel cell cars in the future, ethanol is a very good source of energy. So I think my point of view, ethanol is a transitional fuel. So from, if you take a hybrid, like the Corolla hybrid in Brazil, with uh, ethanol is already one of the lowest if not the lowest emission car globally but that's a transition fuel in the future when you have electric cars i believe that instead of need of a battery on the car you can have ethanol and ethanol being converted into hydrogen and hydrogen into electricity i think that's the best car is when you have you don't need the battery because the ethanol has a lot of energy content in it you have the hydrogen motor to convert the the ethanol into hydrogen and then electricity. For me, that's the future. The fuel cell cars, it's something that down the road will be the most efficient one. You don't have the disadvantage of uh, a very heavy battery that you have to display some point in time and you have a renewable fuel with a very clean car that produces hydrogen in the end of the day. That's for me. But of course, the technology will take some time So we see the ethanol playing a role in the transition, but also a role on the end game that's on the electric cars moved by fuel cells of hydrogen.
0: So I'm very enthused about the vision that you're painting. There seems to be a food versus fuels debate. Could you talk about what is the food versus fuels debate
1: and is it a legitimate debate? Uh, very good question. I always get that question. If you, if you look into Brazil, less it's less than 1% one percent of the area is used for sugarcane production. And today, if you look into our plants, the sugarcane is a plant that we are not taking the full potential of the plant. So we can increase the production from 80, 90 tons per hectare to 200 tons per hectare. So we don't need additional acreage to more than double the production of sugarcane today in Brazil. It's just a matter of managing properly the crop. So that's number one. So squeezing more out of the existing crop. Of the crops. And that's not the the case for other crops. If you take other crops, that's not the case. For for sugarcane, we are still on a a, a lot of potential upside. So that's number one. Number two, even with the current crop, you can improve production of energy just by being more efficient. So I'll give an example. The second generation ethanol, when you use the cellulose to produce ethanol, you improve the production of ethanol by 50% without one additional ton or one additional acreage. So you can improve the production of ethanol in Brazil by 50%, 5-0, zero, with zero need of additional acreage. And in the end, the biogas is very similar. It's a coincidence, the number, but you can improve your electricity production by 50% when you put the biogas technology in your product. So I'm talking about improving production and improving efficiency. So you can go for more than four times the current production of ethanol and electricity on the next 10 years without need of one additional acreage. In fact, if you look into raising we have even reduced our acreage over time because we are improving productivity. So that that means that you don't need to go to to, to the Amazon. We are more than 3,000 kilometers away from the Amazon. We are not talking about zero deforestation. That's nothing to do with the sugarcane. That's a misconception that I see in many places. So there is no dispute between food and fuel in this particular case because we are not talking any additional acreage. We are just talking about improvement on productivity and efficiency to convert that biomass into energy in the end of the day. So there's a lot of room to go down the road without talking about any competition with food. So that, that's something that not many people know. When you, you get the numbers, that's very easy to show and prove to everyone. You
0: know, about 10 or 15 years ago, there was a lot of hopes for biofuels and it seems as if there's been some progress. But it doesn't seem to enjoy the same kind of focus or attention that wind or solar gets. And I wonder if it's because the potential of biofuels 10 or 15 years ago was oversold, if I can use that term. And perhaps now there have been significant improvements in the last 10 years and other breakthroughs that could change the conversation of biofuels, but it has not sort of entered the global conversation partially because In essence, the conversation sort of shut down about 10 years ago, if
1: I can describe it that way. Am I capturing it accurately? I think so. I think that you have a very good point. If you look into the attention that has been given to solar and and wind, uh, it's much higher than biofuels for the right reasons, I must say. But uh, people are ignoring here that we already have something that is a reality. And I think, as you said, I think the breakthrough of second-generation ethanol and biogas, it's quite recent. Not many people seen that yet, is not aware. We were, were the, one of the few companies, if not the only company that managed to get the second-generation ethanol in large scale, feasible, with very competitive costs. So I think that's a matter of uh, showing to the market what's happening. One big difference here know, is that the, if you take solar and wind, the major problem, you need batteries to storage that. On the case of I'll give it, electricity produced from sugarcane, it's something you can dispatch at any time. You have a big pile of the gas, that's your battery in the end of the day. So the big difference here, we are seeing even in Brazil, the evolution of solar and wind. Those companies are even talking to us because to guarantee a reliable source of production of energy it's a very good combination when you combine solar with biomass. It's very good because when you are at night, you can produce electricity using the bagasse of the, when you are during the the peak hours of the sun, you reduce the production of biomass and instead the solar. So even in our company, we are looking to solar and wind to compose, to combine that with biomass. So for the grid, I see that's very interesting because it's a combination. It's not one or another. You can combine both and make the grid of uh, uh, power production uh, much more reliable when you combine both. So I think there is room for everyone on on that sense. I think you're right, the attention was much higher to solar and wind for, for other reasons. But now it's time for us to start looking back what are the potentials and the good uses of that. And remember that the battery piece, that's something that puzzles me all the time, and that we don't have this problem with sugarcane, because you can dispatch your production at any given point in time. So even in Brazil, it's a, a country heavy dependent on hydroelectric. When you have the dry season, that's when the country needs the most the production of electricity, and that's what we're doing. We are harvesting during the dry season. So we are producing electricity when the country needs that. When you combine that with solar and wind, that's perfect because you have the best of both worlds. So I think it's, a, again, it's a combination. I don't think it's a competition between different energies. It's a combination that makes it even more powerful.
0: My last question for you is about U.S.-Brazil cooperation in the biofuel space. This is a little bit of, out of ignorance. I get the sense there's slight differences of interest could you talk a little bit about that and then also talk about how you see future cooperation in u.s brazil but also could you talk about india in that conversation
1: brazil and u.s are the major producers of ethanol and i think we spend too much time in the past competing with each other and that's as i told the demand i think the major issue that i see as a producer when i'm going to several different places and we export a lot When we talk to other countries, they said, I need a reliable source of of ethanol. And if it's only Brazil, it's not reliable. The country, for them to change and adapt to ethanol, they need more sources. So I think what Brazil and U.S. have to do is to combine forces and show that they are reliable, can be reliable sources of ethanol. And bringing other countries to this party, it's even better. So we talked about India. India is a big producer of sugarcane. So if we help India to produce ethanol, it will be another source of ethanol. So we must help other countries, Australia, Thailand that also can be big producers of ethanol and then we create a more global market. I think the issue here is a combining forces and not fighting each other. There is a lot of room to do that and also we can even talk about exchanging technology If we can help India produce second generation ethanol, that's even better because they're going to have a more ethanol and they can replace the fossil fuels. They can reduce uh, the carbon emissions in their country. And we have a global market of ethanol for Brazil is good for us is good. So that's why I wrote that article some time ago saying that we need to find a common path, a common ground and work together to a more global market of ethanol. I really believe on that. As I tell to the, to the people that work inside Raisin, we are on the right time, at the right place, with the right people. It's quite unique. We have to take advantage of that and create this global market and make this, because we are helping the world in one, one way, reducing carbon emissions, and also creating a new market for us. So that, that's very good. It's good to work in a company that has this, this potential.
0: Ricardo, this is great. Thanks for the time today. I'm very enthused and optimistic about the future of biofuels, but it seems to me one of the key components is going to be a deeper U.S.-Brazil partnership to make that a reality. Thanks for making the time today. I really appreciate it and look forward to following up with you. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Danu. Really a pleasure. Thank you very much. For you, thank you again for joining. Stay tuned for the next episode of Forty Five West.